I'm Mike Brilla, host of the Inspired Teacher Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Dennis Feast, and he is sharing his incredible murder mystery, Love, Pride, and Murder. Oh, what an excellent story. Awesome talk. You're going to love this. Thanks for listening. Oh, by the way, before you go, it'd be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and uh, left review. Could you do that for me? That would be so cool. You are awesome. Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. It's the education podcast, your favorite show, with lots of groovy guests, and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Maletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Ah, ah, with Dot Stimoletto. Dennis A. Fees may not sound like your typical novelist who crafted a murder mystery, but he calls upon a variety of experiences, hobbies, and schooling to create the realism in his newest book, Love, Pride, and Murder. The former motorcycle rider and sports car driver has lived a life of exploration, marrying, divorcing, and chasing after understanding. I can't read that line without laughing, by the way. Uh, I can't wait to have you explain some of that to me. Uh, For three decades, he engaged in a career of book manufacturing, serving from frontline supervisor to vice president of operations. He worked for several companies, including Bertelsmann, uh, Maple Vale Book Manufacturing, and R.R. Donnelly. He then became a pastoral associate at a local church and served a decade as the religious education teacher, social concerns, administrative, uh, confirmation coordinator, adult education facilitator, and RCIA coordinator. Fees earned a BS majoring in psychology and minoring in religious studies from College Misericordia in Pennsylvania. He also spent four years in deaconate formation at St. Pius X in uh, PA. He earned an MA in theology from University of Scranton in PA. Born and raised in Plymouth, Indiana, he also lived in Connecticut and New Hampshire. He resides in Montrose, Pennsylvania, and enjoys weightlifting, writing, and exploring his spiritual curiosity. A little about Love, Pride, and Murder. Love, Pride, and Murder is a murder mystery taking place in New Hampshire, primarily Concord in upstate near Hanover and Woodstock. A young woman hires the P.I. to investigate a supposed accident that she believes to have been a murder. The plot is woven around the investigation. Dennis, thanks so much for being on my show. Say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. How well, are you doing, Steve? Doing great, thanks, and I hope you are too, Dennis. It's great to have you on the show. And, uh, you know, i gotta, uh, I got to ask you, why would you start writing? Uh, well, I've always written since um, going back to, oh, gee, I guess the seventh grade. Uh, I had an English teacher who was uh, more creative than most during that era anyway, and he challenged uh, all of his uh, kids with, writing a short story over one weekend. And I, um, I'd always, I don't know, as, as far back, even before that, I can remember writing different things you know, in, different, uh, in different ways for different reasons. And so the story came as a challenge. It wasn't, a, a, it wasn't drudgery like a lot of the classwork, but I really enjoyed it. And I wrote a story, and he read it in front of the class and seemed to like it, and everyone else seemed to like it. And from that point, my career was launched. Very cool, very cool. The uh, and and I got to tell you, you got a lot of different experiences going on there in which to pull from. But you got to explain the line, uh, you know, because uh, first of all, you're a former motorcycle rider and sports car driver. Um, 
But you you say the line marrying and divorcing as if it was a hobby. So uh, you gotta you gotta tell me something about that. Well, yeah, um, the um, I don't know, it's one of those instances where you you as you try to explain something like that, you can either begin crying or you can begin, begin laughing. And I guess I choose to laugh rather than cry. At least during this instance. Um, yeah, it, I, I uh, was very young when I married the first uh, lady. Uh, she was seven, eight years older than I was, and uh, that, you know, that that period of my life lasted about two years. Uh, I remember the attorney sort of chuckled, like you did. The attorney was chuckling uh, when he when he saw it because I was very young when I married her. She decided that she wanted to marry me, and that's kind of the reason it happened. I didn't have much to say about it. And after that, uh, I went for many years, and I ended up uh, later in my, I guess it was in my 20s, late, later 20s. Um, the second lady, very attractive, uh, almost model worthy. In fact, she did do some modeling. And so she was sort of like, a, oh, I don't know, every young man's dream of what a woman should be. I mean, just really dumb stuff. And then, um, roll forward. Uh, a couple, three years, and I met uh, my third wife. We were married for 25 years. So that one, uh, you know, I guess it took. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not so sure. I mean, it did for a while. I have two daughters as a result of that marriage. Awesome. Be- beautiful girls. Uh, they both live in Philadelphia. Um, and I'm not that from I'm maybe three hours at the most from where they live, so it's, we're fairly close. Um, so, but you know, I don't have too many regrets about that marriage, other than the fact that it uh, it ended probably before it should. And you know, I don't know how much uh, experience you have in these matters. Hopefully, none. <laughs> but uh, in my case, I've come to the conclusion in my ripe old age that um, it was fifty-fifty. I mean, you know, she was partly at fault, and I was partly at fault, and the, the parting of the ways was inevitable. I got you. So, I- does that answer the question? Oh, it does. And I'm sorry to ask. It. I just, I just, with that line there, and I, I, myself, I've been married to one person for a long time, but the, uh, um, but my, uh, my father, I, my father was married, I like to say four and a half times because <laughs> the, wow. the last, the last time, uh, are you doing uh, one upsmanship on me, Steve? <laughs> no, no, but I can tell you that, um, I understand. Um, uh, that's why I, that's even more why it caused me a chuckle because I, I have stories that go with each, you know, from this, um, from the son's perspective. <laughs> um, but, uh, and I, and I understand a little bit about the world that was happening at the time. And so my mom was the longest of the marriages, but the, um, but it just uh, was one of those things. And that's why I like to say there's a half at the end because, uh, um, he'd bought the ring and showed it to me. And I was saying to him, you know, dad, you know, I, you know, be friends. And, and I said, uh, you know, get a dog. Dogs don't leave you. You know, it's, you know, it's, <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, anyway, I'm sorry to go down that path, but I had to ask when you, yeah, yeah. you put that one out there. So good stuff. Nice, nice, nice. Um, yeah, things happen. So all is good. Appreciate you talking about that. So, you know, Let's get back to your your book, Love, Pride, and Murder. I mean, did you have an inspiration for your story? I mean, what, where'd that idea come from? Uh, well, the idea is um, something that was simmering for a while, and I I had a novel. This is actually my second novel, 
first novel was sort of the end of that last marriage. You know, a lot of things that were um, coming together at that point in time or disappearing at that time. My kids were off to college. Both of them, the last one I just left. Um, I changed jobs. Uh, there are a bunch of things that happened in my life. And so the, the first novel was more personal, and it also had kind of a spiritual bent to it. The second one was something that I'd wanted to write simply because I've always enjoyed mysteries. And uh, the um, aside from academic reading, uh, I think that that's, in fact, I'm sure that that is the genre of choice for, for escaping you know, reality. And I always enjoyed mysteries, and that's uh, kind of the reason I had one simmering. Uh, but in terms of being inspired, it, it came for, out of Scripture. I've always been curious about the reasons for some of the passages in, in Scripture, some of the, especially the mythical kinds of, uh, and by myth I mean in a, in a, with a capital M, something that uh, carries with it meaning that is um, generational, it continues. And sort of Cain and Abel uh, is where that came from, out of Genesis chapter 4. Uh, the the idea that a personal prideful issue could result in the murder of a brother, you know, there's a certain irony now because as as we're recording this, um, the the fight continuing ongoing fight in uh, Hamas with Hamas in Israel is uh, it's never ended and it's been continuing forever and probably will continue for for many, many years to come, sadly. And so I think really is brother attacking brother. Um, if you if you look at history, the the without I don't want to get into too much detail there, but um, I think everyone kind of knows the history of that part of the world, at least to some extent. And so you can you can you can see how it happened, but you can't understand why it continues to happen. Go back to scripture, read the, the story of Cain and Abel, and you can see the rudimentary way it it came up in, in human history. Um, not to say that scripture, at least at that juncture, is historical in that sense, but the messages and the, and the, the meaning that comes out of it, I think, is it can be, can be really well represented in what's happening today in Israel. So anyway, that, that has always fascinated me. And, and what the most fascinating part of it for me was uh, what did God do as a result of that? You know, in human terms, we would punish the one son and, you know, we might turn him over the, to the, whatever the social structure is at the time, turn him over to the police or whatever. Uh, we might, uh, you know, hide him. We might, there might be all kinds of things that we could do, but certainly not what God did. And we as humans scratch our head and wonder, why in the world would we take that approach? Now, let me, let me say that that's what, that kind of thinking is what, um, kept this, this story uh, percolating in my head. Now, there's a term that you don't hear every day. <laughs> it works. But you understand what I'm saying. I could talk about little pods, but that's Cain and Abel's story as a pod that you put in your coffee maker. <laughs> but no, the, the, um, the idea that, that, uh, that this kind of thing still happens today, thousands of years later, and it has to do with human history, not necessarily scriptural or anything having to do with where the world is structured. So that, that's what was in my head. Now, the, the story, the mystery, the book is not an allegory. It is not, you know, taking that idea and then running with it and then having some kind of a conclusion that 
that fits the story. It's not like that at all. So I don't want to give the wrong impression. It is um, just a mystery. It begins with that idea, and that was sort of the question that you asked in my long-winded way before I answered it. Oh, that's that's great. I appreciate it. This is, uh, you know, because a lot of times people have ideas for stories, but they never get further than the idea or maybe a few pages in or something like that. And, but you created this story and I was just wondering, first of all, what inspired it? Because something has to, you have to have some drive there that's going to make you go. So is is there something that actually made you say, okay, now I'm going to not just make this an idea. It's going to happen. Yeah. um, The pandemic, Um, (laughs) because, (laughs) because it was, you know, you can't do anything and I couldn't do anything. Um, without getting in trouble with the, the vaccine police. So what I did is um, I had no excuses. And so I sat down at my computer and I started writing it and then it just sort of took over. And it became, at the end of, it's funny because the novel got to the editors or got to the, sorry, got to the publishers, got through the editing process when the, um, when the pandemic was over, not officially over, but you know, pretty much over. We were all doing the usual kinds of things. Uh, so that's, so I call it my pandemic novel. Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> all right. So uh, give the audience a commercial for Love, Pride, and Murder. I mean, why would they want to read your story? It's an engaging mystery. If people, you know, typically people, people read mysteries, look for other mysteries. You know, you go to Amazon, it looks like I, at least I do. Go to Amazon and you find a book that you like, and then you follow all of those trails to other books because they sound like they're interesting. Um, you can do the same thing with my book. It's on Amazon, and you can find it out there uh, without too much trouble. Um, and it's a good mystery. It's a very good mystery. It is not uh, one of those that sort of comes to a, a, a grinding halt, and then you wait for the buyer to figure out what he's doing or she's doing. For it to continue, the pace is good. Uh, it reads well. Um, it's been edited so many times that uh, you're unlikely to find too many grammatical or spelling curiosities in it. Um, the characters are are probably, for, at least for me, I think, were the high point. Uh, they're engaging, interesting, easy to identify with. Um, the, the 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 two people, main characters, are uh, Thomas Bradley Stone, T.B. Stone. And he is the native of Ranch. In fact, both of them are. And the lady who comes to uh, present the mystery to him, uh, named Lucia, Lucia Nardoni. Lucia is uh, an attractive younger lady, and Thomas immediately recognizes her attributes. And then that sort of that is one thread that follows all the way through the novel. So you've got you've got a little bit of romance in it. You've got uh, the mystery, which is always there. Uh, there's a little bit of action, well, more than a little bit of action. Um, there is some dialogues that are fun. My background is psychology and, and theology, so I had to put in a few <laughs> instances where they were discussing. In fact, you know, there, there aren't too many mysteries that I can think of where you talk, talk about Kierkegaard in such a way that it's kind of fun. You know? Nice. I do that. So people can even get some interesting things out of it that might have nothing to do with the mystery. But not so much that it becomes preachy or anything of the sort. Cool. The the the, um, the people that have read it, the, the people who have who professionally criticized these things, uh, seem to find it engaging and fast-paced 
an interesting and a fun read. So, you know, I, all I'm doing is parroting what people who, who know more about those things than I do. So, very nice. We got you know one of. So you got you to tell me, why did you choose a mystery? Because uh, it's, you know, I'm going to take that a little further in a minute, but uh, why a mystery? Why, why is that what you chose to write about? Well, um, the, as I mentioned, the first novel that I wrote, which was a few years before this one, uh, was personal. And it was, you know, if you have a grand idea about what you're doing when you, when you start writing, everyone does. I mean, you talk to somebody that's never really written anything and they have, you know, all these, these ideas about what it means and how important it is and blah, blah, blah. Well, for me, that was the great American novel, okay, um, which is asinine. I mean, it's not, it wasn't, it isn't. It was just a novel, and it was very personal. But this one is a genre novel. So since I've read more mysteries for fun than any other genre, it was just sort of a natural extension of who I am, I think. The other piece of it with a mystery is that um, it continues to be interesting. I think it's, you know, we all remember Sherlock Holmes when we were kids and the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew and all that stuff. Um, and it, with me, all of that just stuck. I mean, most people go through phases in their reading of the readers. Um, and I did that as well, but I always come back to mysteries. And um, so, you know, it was just a natural, I, I think that way. I think most people do. You look to the future and you try to anticipate what's going to happen based on what's happened to you in your past. And isn't that a mystery? Isn't that the way we think? That's definitely like that. That, That's awesome. That's, uh, yeah, I was, you know, fascinated by, uh, I read Hardy Boys when I was younger. And uh, and then uh, um, it's funny because I read lots of stuff. And in the, um, I've come back to in uh, kind of thriller mystery um, things that might end up with some sort of you know some sort of twist in there and stuff like that. And I think that's always what I've liked about uh, you know one of the things I've I, I've gone back and watched all of the um, Sherlock Holmes movies that had Basil Rathbone in them, and uh, um, I've become a fan of those because it's interesting how good they were at a certain time of uh, creating these uh, situations that if you weren't paying attention, there was something he took you back to that made him realize, you know, which direction he needed to go or whatever. And I always thought that was cool. The same in books. And I think, I think people find that kind of uh, intriguing as well. And uh, so cool stuff. I mean, you know, that, that, uh, yeah, it, it lends me to this question, which is, you know, your novels are whodunit, and could you talk about some of the pitfalls that you had to watch out for in order to make sure that the mystery stayed a mystery? Yeah, that, you know, that's an excellent question. The, the, um, as they occurred, as I was writing it, um, and I let the characters sort of determine what the next step is going to be in the story, um, rather than, you know, having a sort of path that was laid out prior to starting the novel that I tried to follow. I didn't do that. I just let it naturally evolve as the characters were evolving. So I built the characters, and then I did what the characters would logically do when confronted with, with certain situations. And then I let it, uh, would write about that. And then one situation led to another one and another one. And so as I was developing the characters, I was developing the story. Uh, to be consistent is the trick. Like right now, I'll, I'll give you an example, a really good, good example, I hope. This, the novel that we're talking about um, is the first of 
of at least two, because I'm writing the second one now. And the second one is almost completed. I haven't submitted it to a publisher, but I've, I've contacted a publisher, the same publisher for this one, uh, pricing and that kind of stuff. And um, what I have found myself doing is going back to this first novel, this first mystery, and making sure that I have the names correctly, you know, reflected in the new, in the new novel, that the uh, qualities of the characters are reflected so that, um, you know, TB isn't doing something that's out of character, which he isn't doing something that's out of character. Uh, I've taken the natural extension of what happened as just a thread in the first novel and sort of tied those threads up in the second novel. So how do I, how do I prevent from getting, falling into those pits that you described? By doing that, I go back and cross-check. One of the nice things about having um, a sophisticated, you know, sort of word, I use a word, I don't use anything like that. But it comes back and it tells me, oh, well, you need to change this, wording isn't quite right, or it gives me the opportunity to change it. And I use that. And so in terms of making mistakes, I do kind of the same thing, except I do it by hand using the, the first novel, the second one. Now, when I was writing the first novel, it meant going back, constantly scrolling back, to make sure that I was consistent, because I wanted to make sure that there was no blips. You know, nothing is more frustrating than than reading about a character. You know the character. You have a sense of who or what the character is going to be doing, and then suddenly they do something that's completely off base. Unless the author is doing that intentionally to make a point, um, it, it is frustrating. And typically, if that happens, then you sort of figure it out. You kind of catch on. And, you can appreciate it. But when they make that kind of mistake, then it's like well, you were talking about watching Sherlock Holmes movies. Um, if you watch any movie, there isn't anything more disconcerting than seeing something that, you know, you see the microphone coming down from the top and they don't edit it out. Yes. It just throws you off. I mean, you get lost in the story and then suddenly you have one of these things and yes. somebody slaps you and says, hey, this is just a movie. Well, it's the same thing with a novel. So that's, that's it. I did plant some red herrings. Of course, nice. Mystery, so there has to be a few, uh, but they are natural. They're not. One of the things I always liked about Agatha Christie, I liked the settings. I liked the complexity of her characters. Uh, I liked her stories, but they were like formulas. Every Agatha Christie novel, every story is a is a formula. She uses the same formula, literally. Well, probably probably eighty percent of everything she wrote followed the same formula. And that's okay. I mean, that's what she did, and they were fun, and you knew what you were getting when you picked up the next novel. Um, but sometimes she would do uh, some wacky things that just didn't make a lot of sense. And the red herrings were so obvious that, you know, you just said, okay, Agatha, let's keep going. <laughs> well, I, hopefully I didn't do that. That was one of the lessons I learned from reading Agatha Christie. Now, don't misunderstand. She... She was Dame Agatha and should have been. She was the greatest mystery writer, I think, of her generation. Um, and so many, so many followers, even today, meet on one. But, you know, we're, we're, she made mistakes just like the rest of us. Well, the only one that never made a mistake was Conan Doyle. <laughs> That's just my opinion. Nice. Yeah, hey, uh, you know, it's interesting because, like, I'm a, a big fan of... Uh, I, I've read a lot of Agatha Christie, and one of my, my favorite stories is the. It, it had another title before, but now it's known by, and then there were none. 
and uh, and I, I love the concept of all being invited to an island or to a house or you know bringing everybody together and then uh, they're all there for a reason but they don't know what the reason is until that all comes out and then uh, and, and then there's a series of murders and things that take place and it's like you know yeah, she's good about uh, whatever the venue was about uh, bringing them all together on something a train yeah. a, you know, to a house an island or whatever and uh, but the uh, was usually the same. Yeah, like I said, they are. It's fascinating. She has different sites. She goes to Egypt. She goes to this island that's in the middle of nowhere. And she has. Yeah, I, I, I really like the way she put them. Plus the the characters, even though, and 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 they all end with that meeting at the end. Yes. Everyone comes together, and the the culprit is then identified. You know, and as you're reading it, you say, "Yeah, you better not go to that meeting because you're in no trouble." Of course, you as the reader supposedly don't know who who the culprit is. And, you know, with Agatha, sometimes you get it right and sometimes you get it wrong. You know, that's what I like about it, right? Oh, that creative. Oh, I love that stuff because that's, that's, I'm, <laughs> I'm usually wrong. <laughs> and so it's, it, it's nice because then when they start revealing yeah. whatever happened and you're going, oh, I missed that sucker. That's, <laughs> where did that one come from? And uh, I like that. Now, now, as a note, I am a fan of old, uh, of old movies and comedy and stuff. And I, and uh, if you ever watched any, uh, um, Inspector Clouseau movies with uh, Peter oh, Sellers, you know, they made fun of the, the whether people, you know, bringing everybody together and him trying to solve the crime. <laughs> yeah, with the, that's right. <laughs> yes. There's usually some sort of stumbling going along through it. And, uh, but anyway, I, I definitely digress, but uh, good stuff. I, and I, I think that really speaks to the idea that, you know, I, I, uh, people like a good whodunit. And especially if you can confuse them a little bit and throw them off the track of, uh, um, where they might be thinking, that's even even better, man. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's talk a little bit because you've mentioned this just a little bit. Uh, how do you create your characters? I mean, what is what is it that you're doing? That uh, I mean, because you you have their names, they, um, you, you're talking with the main characters right there. Uh, um, how, how do you create them? Do you sit down and do it separately, or does it just come out of the as you're making the story? Uh, yeah, the the main character in. Um in Love, Pride, and Murder is Thomas Bradley Stone, T.B. Stone. His friends call him T.B. Um, I've known people, you know, over the years. I've lived in several different states and lived in several different towns and cities and whatnot. And so you get a cross-section of people. And in many ways, every small town is the same. Every city is the same. But in other ways, they're very different. Uh, the ethnicity sometimes is different. The industries are sometimes different, and so you get different kinds of human behaviors. Right? So what I, what I did with TB is I began with uh, a character that um, was settled, he lived in New Hampshire most of his life, but during his army days he left and he got tangled up in some interesting things that uh, I'm not going to reveal now. You need to read the book in order to figure them out. And some things that he still can't talk about, but, uh, and not because of emo emotional issues, but because they're top secret still, even today. And they give him a certain perspective on the world that the average Yankee who lives in New Hampshire forever never leaves. You know, it's not uncommon if you go into the upper part of the state to find people that have never left the town. I mean, why would I leave? It's, I'm not going to see anything that I don't see here. And, that, and that's okay. I mean, that's great. I wish I wish that my life had been a little more like that. Um, 
but it takes a certain kind of person and that kind of a person is developed or formed based on his or her environment. And so when I, when I create the characters in the novels, I create them with taking that kind of, of worldview that someone would have in a particular place. And then when I, when I plug in their experiences, which make up the backstory, then uh, what would this person be like if all these different things had happened to him or her? And then the, the fun thing, fun thing about meeting new people is that you get to explore. You know, every person is a different world. I mean, every person has a different way of looking at things. And when you get to know them, you learn, and then you can start piecing it together to see why they are the way they are. And that, of course, is the fun of being around people. Uh, sometimes it's disappointing, but uh, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's revealing. Sometimes it's fun. Uh, sometimes you're surprised. That's what it is to be human, yes. Anyway, that's where the characters are built. The characters are built as a composite. Each one of them, uh, you know, what would this person be like if this person never left New Hampshire? What would this person be like if this person spent a lot of time in Massachusetts? What would this person be like if he, if he or she were a transplant in New Hampshire? So I was in New Hampshire long enough to get a feel for the sort of the natives of New Hampshire um, and also the transplants and also those that were sort of in between. You know, the, the, that the border between Massachusetts and New Hampshire is um, years ago it was kind of like um, kind of like a fence. You know, the, the, the views of people in New Hampshire were very different than the views of people in, in Massachusetts. But as time has passed, the people from, a lot of people from Massachusetts have migrated into New Hampshire just far enough that their tax base is different. And so it's very expensive living in, in Massachusetts. But, you know, the quality of life, if you're accustomed to that, is something that they enjoy, that they, they, they want. There are even some of them that actually follow Boston sports teams, which is beyond my understanding, but they do. <laughs> and um, with possible exception of Celtics, which I kind of admire, always admire the Celtics. But aside from that, you know, you could, you could take them. But anyway, <laughs> at any rate, when they come into New Hampshire, there's, there's a kind of cross-pollination that happens. And they come in there with their, their worldview, and then they meet Yankees. And Yankees are very, very, very different than the people of Massachusetts. Nice. And so there's a little bit of give and take on that. So anyway, with those, with those different kinds of characters in mind, I tried to create realistic uh, beliefs. Somebody from New Hampshire read the book. Um, I think they could identify with the characters and certainly identify with the description of some of the, the scenery. And there's just enough time spent in Massachusetts that that, that, uh, that crossover population might find some identification with it too. Does that answer your question? Oh, very much so. Very much so. That's cool. That's uh, especially you know, it, just the thought of studying people. I mean, paying attention to people is pretty much what you're talking about is uh, yeah. their mannerisms and the way they are and stuff like this. I, my father had a good friend who uh, um, we got to know, and this is, we were in, I grew up in Florida and we were down in Florida and he had, he and his wife had, uh, you know, were born and raised in uh, Maine and, um, and the cool thing is, is that while I'm listening to you talk, I have this image of, uh, uh, of um, the two of them. And uh, um, because I had never 
been to Maine nor met anybody from Maine. And every description I'd ever heard, he he's cantankerous. I mean, they both were. They they just had and they had this way of speaking that uh, was literally. I'm like I. I they they were like book characters. I don't know how else to describe yeah, it, yeah. and uh, it's just funny. That's that's who you're making me think of. That's what you're saying. That. They're like caricatures. Yes, exactly. And uh, <laughs> exactly, and it, I could see them appearing in a book. That was uh, that's awesome. What you're talking about, because that you know, as you study people and their mannerisms. I mean, I I heard Stephen King say one time when uh, he had someone accidentally hit him when he was walking outside the road, as the guy was describing what was going on when he was apologizing for hitting him. <laughs> He, um, Stephen King writes in his book, he says, uh, uh, at that time, it real, I realized I just got hit by one of my characters, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I just, I just think it's funny because it's, it's cool how people create. And I, I think that's neat. Thanks for sharing. I, all right. So you have a, a spiritual background. Do any of your characters have a component to their, their backgrounds that does uh, provide some spiritual insight? And uh, the first one, in the second one, yeah, but you know, obviously that's not published yet. But in the first one, it has more to do with the way they do things. It has more to do with um, living out uh, a life that has been influenced by uh, a, a sort of spiritual component. Now, TB, the, the main character, has an interesting way of solving problems. And um, the... the you, you, you can make an argument that that way of solving problems that he uses, and it's, it's spelled out pretty, pretty clearly in the book, um, would, would come from a spiritual place. On the other hand, you can make a real, really good argument that it just simply comes from understanding himself and being open to some of, the, some of the things that a lot of people don't pay attention to within their own makeup. But he, but he does. He's, he has learned how to trust some of the things that is subconscious tells him anyway i don't want to go any, any further about that because it's a it's a big part of the book so not a problem not a problem it's because um, you're actually kind of you're actually kind of getting into my next question which had to do with you know he's not exactly your typical pi and i was just wondering if you yeah. could share a little bit or or if you may be avoiding doing that because it might give away too much but uh no i don't think so the, the it becomes obvious that his way of, of solving you know th think about the think about sherlock holmes okay you're a fan uh, and you've read the stories. When, when Conan Doyle put it together, he was basing it on a character that he knew in his real life, which has now become known to everybody. It follows as a Holmesian. Sounds like you are. Um, it was a doctor that he knew when he was when he was coming up as a physician. And this doctor had a, almost an Aspergerish way of dealing with the world, as does Holmes. So everyone now believes that that Holmes' character was largely based upon this position that, that uh, Conan Doyle knew. Um, I think I think that that the uh, give me give me the question again. Oh, I was just too far. just saying that you know um, you you have a not so typical PI who's your main yeah. character, and I was just okay. asking if you could share a little bit without uh, spoiling okay. some of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, in this case, case I think I think that TB is. Unlike that, he is not like uh, a Holmesian character. Okay, and if you if you think about that character, how many mysteries have been created as a result of Sherlock Holmes' influence over the years? Yeah. Same thing could be said of Agatha Christie, some of the other well-known well-known mystery writers. What T. B. Stone does, unlike 
any of them that I've read anyway, um, is he uses the people around him. You know, as he, for example, his, his client, Lucia, um, helps him to solve the mystery. I mean, physically, she goes different places. Same thing with his best friend, who happens to be an attorney working in Concord. Um, he meets a, uh, a police lieutenant, a detective that gets involved in one of the crimes that pops up. And so he uses him. I mean, he, what he does is he puts together a team. And that team then together solve the you know, various stages in the, in the mystery. Um, that's not something that you read very often. You know, typically it's the brilliance of the investigator or it's, you know, if you go to the cozy side of mysteries, um, it's the little shopkeeper who um, typically is female and has uh, this penchant for baking or for whatever. I mean, it's, it could be almost anything. And for some reason, she gets involved in solving a murder that just happens to show up. Think of, uh, what was the, the show on television? Murder, She Wrote? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Kind of like that. Uh, and that, you know, that, that has become, you know, kind of a staple. Well, TV is nothing like that. <laughs> what he does is he works with the people that he meets and the people that he knows. And he doesn't just call up his friend, uh, who Ben, Ben is the attorney, and say, yo, Ben, what... Uh, what can you do for me today? And then he gets the information, and then he goes on his merry way. He enlists them in solving a problem. He enlists Lucia in solving a problem. He enlists Joe, the policeman, in solving a problem. And so they and others. His secretary, or assistant. He enlists her, Julie, his friend. And all of them get to know each other, and all of them then work together, and they take ownership on the on the um, on the solution or on finding the solution to the mystery. And the, the mystery itself is sort of two-pronged. Um, there are two different things that he's doing, and, it, and they, they kind of reflect his character. So to the extent that his character is reflected, you know, becomes kind of a separate kind of piece of the novel. It is in that that he's, he's kind of going down two paths at the same time. So anyway, that, that, that's where I think it makes him interesting. Very cool. And, and, you know, as, as it proceeds, he's he loves baseball. That's his sport. He grew up playing baseball, and that's a little bit of the story. Not so much that people who don't care anything about sports wouldn't still be able to read the novel and enjoy it. There's just enough in there that if you do like baseball, even if you're a Red Sox fan, you probably appreciate it. <laughs> nice. The uh, very cool. That's awesome. I appreciate it. It's, you know, it's just it's always neat to have a a character that. Uh, there's something, you know, even though it's nice to have some that have um, same qualities, it's always nice to have the ones who don't, and they, there's something different about them. So very cool. Somebody that's memorable. Somebody that's memorable. Yes, very much so. Very much so. Uh, so, All right, so you've kind of alluded to this, too. I, lots of people talk about whether they should plot or not plot. You know, they, you know do, do you actually take time to, to write out where you're going, or do you start writing and let it go where it goes? Yeah, um, like outline it ahead of time. Yes. Um, no, I don't. Um, what I what I know, in fact, the pattern of this next novel is the same as the pattern for the one we're discussing. Um, it begins with an idea. In this case, it was you know the the idea of, of Cain and Abel, and from there it just sort of takes off. I know what the end is going to be. Okay, so at the time I I think about the beginning. 
I'm also thinking about how I want it to end and why. Then everything else in between follows a natural kind of organic path uh, based upon how the characters develop and where the characters are located. And what would the characters' lives be like in this situation at this given time? And what would they do and how would they do it? And so I spend more time on that than thinking about the plot. The plot just sort of naturally goes because I know what the terminus is and I know what the beginning is. As long as I'm true to the beginning and I know that I'm aiming towards the end, then I try to find interesting you know, things that happen along the way to make the book interesting, make, make the novel fun to read. The, 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 um, what I was intending to do, the overall intention, was to make it entertaining. So that a Mr. Grider like yourself would pick it up and say, yeah, this, this is kind of fun. One of those deals where you kind of snuggle up in your chair, okay, you got your coffee, and you got your whatever, and you know you, you don't want to put it down. You just want to keep reading it. And life intrudes, probably, but you know it always, you don't want it to intrude. You want to continue reading. That's what I was trying to achieve. So, nice, nice. Very cool. That's that's my favorite type of book. You know, if we can, if we can, uh, if you can keep my attention so that yeah. I, I can escape into that world. And uh, I just, I love that. And that's uh, good stuff. So it, excellent. I, you know, you've, you, you've really kind of addressed this a couple of times, but I'd like you to officially say it, which is, so uh, I understand there's a, like a book, at least a book two coming out uh, um, with this character. So yeah, the book, the book, I'm already thinking about book three. Oh, um, nice. The nice. Two, the book two is um, the same characters. There are a couple of new ones, um, and some of the characters in the first one aren't as prominent as they are in the first one. Uh, but they're, every character that I create, I think of as living in the world and interacting with the people that have already been created. Okay, so writing the second novel, uh, I was looking at, well, again, I don't want to give away the second novel either, but <laughs> the, the, part, the part that's fun and the part that makes it fun to read and, and why it goes, you know, one of those that you just can't put down is because of what the characters are thinking about, what they're, what they're doing, how they're doing it, why they're doing it, uh, what is interrupting the flow of their lives or enhancing the flow of their lives, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, of course, the mystery. This one is a little darker than the first one uh, in the sense that... Uh, there's some things that happen in it because now you know the characters because you've been there before. And so when you pick up the second one, you say, Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. And, you know, because you know, it's like, like a family, like you know who they are. Um, and there are some things that happen that are dark, but um, there is light at the end. Very cool. So, yeah. And then again, I'm, I'm already thinking not, not creatively, but, um, in terms of there will be there will be a third and there may be a fourth and there may be a fifth it depends on how long I live. Nice, nice. So uh, well, good stuff. I wish you the best with those, and I hope you keep in mind um, when they uh, come out, so we could uh, the next one comes oh, out, so we could talk again. That would be awesome. Uh, all right, so uh, Dennis, we're getting ready to finish up, but before we do that, I got a couple last questions in just a second. But before we do that, uh, tell people where they. I mean, if someone wanted to know more or reach out to you, can they do that? Is there a place you want them to go to? Uh, I do have a website, and, and I apologize because it's under construction. My daughter is an artist, and she is helping me along the way, but she's also works full time and has a life 
unsurprisingly, my <laughs> wife is hyphenated, but she does. And uh, so I can only um, I can only borrow some of her time. And she's really, in fact, she did the cover for the first novel. Nice. If anyone is interested, she did the uh, watercolor. Um, so I'm and so, so she's helping me with the the um, website. But it's author, comma, uh, critic, and then ampersand, and just like with the novel, and then stuff. Author, critic, stuff, and stuff is the name of the, of the website. So just type that in and search, and you'll get to the website. You can ask questions and post comments and whatever. There's, a, there's kind of a, kind of like a blog starter kit at the bottom, so you can read some of my thoughts such as they are. Very cool. So it's author, critic, and what was the last part? Ampersand. It's like the little... Oh, the, the, the and, the little... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. So very cool. So uh, I will... Uh, um, we'll be sharing that information in the show notes so that it can make it possible for someone to find that then. And then as well as you said that your book is, is on Amazon. and uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. All you do is plug in the title and you'll get all kinds of choices. Awesome. Excellent. I'll have that information in the show notes as well. So two last questions and then, and they go like this. The first one is how do you overcome the feeling that you want to quit or give up? Give up what? Writing? Anything that you're doing that there's so much going on that you're just like this. uh, I am a Phillies fan. I'm an Eagles fan. I'm a (laughs) Sixers fan. You know, if you you can't be a fan of those teams, (laughs) When you give up, I mean, it's just not in my DNA. I, I don't give up on anything. I am, I pursue. In fact, it drives people nuts, but I, I never give up. Very cool. Very cool. The uh, <laughs> Nice. Uh, last, last question. Uh, um, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given a chance to say thank you? Uh, yeah. Actually, a couple of them. Um, the seventh grade teacher that um, that uh, asked us in an innocent kind of way uh, to write a short story, and for life me, I can't think of his name offhand. I got a visual, but that doesn't help you. <laughs> um, anyway, he he, um, you know, he he seemed like an old timer to me at the time. He was probably in his early thirties, but <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, he, he was he was a good teacher. He was, uh, you know, he, he was. He used the word inspirational, but uh, but he certainly had an, had an impact on my life, even though you know he may not have realized it at the time or cared. Uh, and then I had a I had a psychology prof in undergrad that um, I almost took the, took a different path instead of theology. I almost went into Counseling, you know, thinking that that's what I wanted to do, but um, but he, he was just a really good professor, really uh, challenging. Um, I think he had a way of of uh, he had. I like people who have just a hint of edge, you know, just just a, not so much that they're overbearing, but just enough that they make life interesting. And he was like that. He would say things that had double meanings and he was just very clever very clever nice and wasn't it wasn't like all lecture and that 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 he was uh he always had an opinion it was it's kind of fun so he, was, he wasn't just fun but he was also uh, one of those that encouraged in 
the way he operated, he encouraged me. And then the third one was a professor I had at the University of Scranton. Uh, she actually is the one that convinced me that I should uh, go into theology. And she uh, she's still there. Uh, she's climbing the ranks, you know, which she would necessarily do. Um, she was she's actually from England originally, or Scotland, Scotland, I guess, uh, originally. Her husband is uh, an American. Um, they're quite the pair, actually. I I, it's not like I have an ongoing relationship with, with them, but uh, I was around the university long enough that uh, I got to know her a little bit. And she was also one of, one of the professors when I was uh, in diaconate formation. Um, and she taught a course in, um, in history of the church. So that's how I actually, that was the first time I got to know her. And that's where she convinced me that I should go into theology, for a master's in theology. Um, and she did so because, again, she was very witty, uh, certainly knew her topic. She was one of those people that, you know, she could reach out into places that you never even thought of and draw comparisons, very gifted linguistically in the sense that she could she could capture things, you know, in words that, that you, um, it would stay with you, stay in your head, because it was such an interesting way of looking at something. Um, she was a little difficult for some people because she was like, um, can I give a, a slightly off color? Sure. Um, my father had so many different ways of saying, <laughs> saying things. Um, she was, and, and this is, this is, this is, uh, <laughs> it's funny, but it, but it, I'll, I'll just say it, maybe you can edit it out if you want to. She was like a fart in a skillet. <laughs> um, nice. It's, it's, <laughs> if, you, if you think about it, <laughs> and, but she was, I mean, she's all over the place. She was just, just, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I, I tend to be a little bit that way myself, so I think I can relate to it. But in her case, it was like, think, think about me, the way my you know, thoughts kind of jitter around on steroids. I mean, that's the way she was. Right. And so, but she was so full of stuff, so full of information and so full of abstractions and whatever that, you know, she just couldn't contain it. And it was always spilling out. So she'd start out with a lesson plan, and then she'd end up entertaining everyone. Very funny good sense of humor. And when you came away from a class, you felt like you'd been through a war. I mean, it was, you know, had that kind of impact. Just a, a very good professor. I enjoyed it. That's awesome. I, Dennis, thank you so much for sharing your book, Love, Pride, and Murder. I just love a good mystery, and it's awesome. Wishing you the best in all you do. Thank you, Steve. Same to you. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. 
And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.